website. Let me give you the address. It's ambassadors with an S dot edu. Be sure and put the S on or else you'll get Herbert W. Armstrong and you don't want to do that. Uh, I want to encourage you about our website. Every morning during the school year, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, we have chapel. Chapel's the most important thing that goes on at Ambassador during the day. Most Christian colleges have chapel for 35 minutes or even less. They have classes 50 minutes, but that's sending a message the classes are more important than the chapel. We don't believe that at Ambassador. Our chapel is at least an hour. Our class is 50 minutes, so uh, it would be 8 o'clock. If you're homeschooling your kids, they need a chapel. So click us on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday at 8 o'clock. All right, take your Bible, please. Turn to Job chapter 36. Job chapter 36. Your pastor was very kind in bringing this pulpit here for me to preach this week. When I preached the last time, I had to stand behind that monstrosity over there. And most of you thought that there was just a head on the pulpit with no body behind it. Now, let me tell you why your pastor is so much taller than I. When I was a little boy, I guess I should say a littler boy, I was such a good boy that my mother always patted me on the head all the time, and I never did have a chance to grow. She's all the time patting me on the head. But your pastor, he was such a bad boy, he got it on the other end. That's why he's so much taller than I. If he were up here, he'd say, the reason I'm short is because the Bible says the wicked shall be cut off. But that's not the reason I'm short. I, I hope you do not take your staff for granted. Uh, I don't know of any church this size that has a better staff than you folks do. And I'll tell you what, I've known these folks a lot longer than you have. And they live what they preach. They really do. The greatest commendation that a preacher can have today is that he lives what he preaches, and that's true of these. And it's been such a blessing for us to be back in their presence. All right, Job chapter 36 and verse 26. Notice, please. It says, Behold, God is great, and we know him not. Neither can the number of his years be searched out. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Most of you are familiar with the plight of Job. Do you remember in Job chapter 1, the devil came before God and he indicted Job. He said, why you have put a hedge about Job, you blessed him materially. He's the richest man in the land of us. And anybody would serve you if you blessed them materially like that. And God said, all right, I'll tell you what. You can take away his material possessions, but you can't touch his life. Well, several servants came in, and they gave Job some bad news. One said, 7,000 of your sheep were burned up as the lightning came down and burnt them up. Then somebody else came and said, wait a minute, Job. He said, 5,000 of your camels have been stolen. Then somebody else said, 500 of your oxen are gone. But to top it all off, somebody came in and said, now, Job, you've heard a lot of bad news, but this is the worst. Your 10 children were eating in their home, and the roof caved in on them and all of your ten children are dead. Now, how would you respond if you were told that? You know how Job responded? Job 1, 21 and 22, Naked came I forth out of my mother's womb. Naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, the Lord had taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And with all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. 
Well, in Job chapter 2 and verse 4, the devil came back before God. And he said, now God, you've let me take away his material possessions, but that's not the ultimate test. Why don't you let me touch his body and you'll see what his character really is. God said, all right, you can touch his body, but you can't touch his life. Well, one day Job woke up and he had boils from the sole of his feet to the top of his head. He was in so much pain and agony that he took a piece of tin and he scraped the boils to alleviate the pain. I think that a man can go through any crisis in life if his wife will stand with him. And I think the worst thing this side of hell would be a nagging wife. I heard about a preacher that stood up at a preacher's meeting and he said, you know, God's been so good to me. He said, God gave me a precious Christian wife, said I was married to her for 25 years, and God took her. He said, then God gave me another precious Christian wife, said I was married to her for 15 years, and God took her. He said, now this last one. He said, I've been married to for 10 years. And he said, anytime God wants to, he can take her. <laughs> now, folks, think of what a mother would be like if she heard that her 10 children were dead. And then her husband was filled with all these boils. And so she came to Job. You've got to be somewhat sympathetic with her. And she said, Job, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Why don't you curse God and die? He said, I'll not do it. I'll not do it. Hey, pastor, the only thing I can think of that would be worse than having a nagging wife would be to have three fundamental Baptist preachers come and taunt you day and night and call you a hypocrite. And that's what happened. Three self-appointed ambassadors from the ministerial assassination came and they taunted Job day and night and they said, Job, your problem is you're a hypocrite. Your bones are full of the sin of your youth and they're going to take you to your grave. And God knows you have hidden sins and Job stood so sternly for such a long time but finally he put up his guard and he began to defend himself. And he said, wait a minute, you've charged me wrongly. It's not fair for you to talk to me like this when I'm in this condition. And it's not fair of God. I wish I'd never been born. I wish I'd have died in my mother's womb. I don't have any hidden sins. I'm not a hypocrite. There was a young man by the name of Elihu that stood by. And he listened to the tirade of these three hypocritical comforters. And he heard Job defend himself. And finally, Elihu said this. He said, now men, you're much older and wiser than I. He said, I've been silent when I've listened to you because you're older and wiser than I. But he said, I think I have some things from God that you need to hear. And if you'll read Job chapter 36, you'll see that it was wisdom beyond Elihu's years. And in his declamation, he made this statement. Behold, God is great, and we know him not. You know, I believe the world today has to say, God is great, but we know him not. And the average person thinks that God is so far removed from man that we can't know anything about God. But I've got good news for you tonight. God has revealed himself to mankind through a book called the Bible. And we can know about God. If you don't know him, I'd like to introduce him to you tonight. Many years ago, my wife and I were in a meeting in Pennsylvania, and I picked up the local newspaper and I read this interesting story. A group of students from a local college came to a Baptist church, and they had a beer party in the basement of the Baptist church. When they finished their beer party, they scattered the beer cans over the basement of the church building, and they went out in the parking lot, and they found that their car was stuck in the mud. So they went back into the auditorium, got some Bibles and hymnals, put them under their rear tires, saturated them in the mud to give them traction to leave the church parking lot. You say, my, how terrible. The truth of the matter is most of you were unaffected by that story. 
But I'll tell you what, if I had told that story 30 years ago, there would have been a gasp of disbelief over this congregation. Now, what's the difference? I'm afraid in the day in which we live, in the culture in which we live, it is the norm to blaspheme, to make light of things that are sacred, spiritual, and right. Do you know the 15 years that I was unsaved, I never used this phrase one time, Oh, my God. Not one time. Sure, we told the dirty jokes. Sure, we used four-letter word profanity. But not many of my buddies would use God's name in vain. But I go into churches like this, and I hear adults and young people saying, Oh, my God. Why? Because that's a culture in which we live. It's no longer wrong. Professor Purdue University made a survey. He found that among the hundred most used words in the English language was every word of profanity. He went a step farther. He found that out of every five words that a factory worker uses, one out of five is a word of profanity. So that means that the average factory worker cannot even utter a sentence without using profanity. Listen to what USA Today said. Sell is a four-letter word. Broadway and music put profanity in their titles, and now authors are doing it because it sells. A lady came to me in Michigan, and she said, Brother Comfort, last week I heard a rock song with two words. She said, would you like to know what they are? I said, if you'll tell me. She said the first word was God. The second word was a four-letter word that started with D. Over and over and over and over again. G-D. Did you ever think you'd live to see the day that in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, in the Bible Belt, in a Methodist church, they would have a funeral for God? Preacher got up at the funeral for God and he said, You kill God because you squeezed his hand too tightly. He said, By the way, God really never did exist. You just created him out of the fear of your mind. Methodist pastor. Do you know the thesis that God is dead came out of Candler Seminary near Atlanta, Georgia? I was in a meeting years ago in Michigan. And Albion College, a Methodist school, took a week out of their curriculum to celebrate the death of God. I have in my files the manuscripts of what went on that week celebrating the death of God. They had a Baptist preacher, a Methodist preacher, an interdenominational preacher, a Catholic priest on the forum. And the statements those men made were enough to make an atheist blood curdle. Gus Hall, the leader of the Communist Party in America in the 60s, came to this school by invitation. And he gave a declamation. He closed his declamation with these words. He said, I will not be satisfied until every congressman in America is strangled to death on the guts of every gospel preacher. And would you believe they gave him a standing ovation when he finished his declamation? Now let me ask you a question. Why is blasphemy the order of the day? I'm convinced that the preachers that stand behind our pulpits are to blame. We have given people a false conception of God. We have caricatured God as a grandfatherly type. He's got his hands folded, a long flowing white beard, and God's absolutely pleased with everybody. A man can run off with his neighbor's wife. He can lie, he can cheat, he can steal, he can blaspheme, and God is absolutely pleased with everybody. I want to say that is not the God of the Bible. Acts 17 and verse 30, the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now hath commanded all men everywhere to repent. And tonight I want to speak to you on this subject, what is God like or the nature of God? The best book in the Bible on the nature of God is the book of Psalms. 
And for this reason, we will say almost exclusively tonight in the book of the Psalms. Take your Bible, please, and turn to Psalm chapter 99. Psalm chapter 99 and verse 9. What is God like? Is He like Hollywood says He's a man upstairs? Is He like the Hollywood actress who said God's a living doll? Is he like Tommy Lasorda says he's a big dodger in the sky? What is God like? All right, notice, please, Psalm 99 and verse 9. It says, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. First and foremost, God is holy. He cannot be loving apart from his holiness. He cannot be great apart from His holiness. He cannot be merciful apart from His holiness. First and foremost, God is holy. Exodus 15, verse 11. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods, who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders. Leviticus 20, 26. And ye shall be holy unto me, for I the Lord am holy. First Chronicles 16 and verse 10, glory ye in his holy name. First Samuel 2 and verse 2, for there is none holy as the Lord. Psalm 22 and verse 3, but thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praise of Israel. Psalm 93 and verse 5, holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. Psalm 111 and verse 9, holy and reverend is his name. Isaiah 6 and verse 3, and one angel invited to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah 57, 15, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. Habakkuk 2 and verse 20, For the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. Now, ladies and gentlemen, to me, one of the worst things about the contemporary Christian movement is this. They have taken a holy God and they have brought him down to the level of sinful man. That's not our job today. Our job is taking sinful man and lifting him up to the level of a holy God. He's holy. There are three things entailed in holiness. Number one, holiness cannot sin. Oh, I'm so glad of that. Job 34 and verse 10, Therefore hearken unto me, a men of understanding. Far be it from God that he should do wickedness, and from the Almighty that he should commit iniquity. Deuteronomy 32 and verse 4, For all his ways are judgment, a God of truth, and without iniquity. Just and right is he. You know, Calvinism makes God the author of sin. Did you know that? John Calvin made this statement. He said, not only did God know that Adam and Eve would sin. Are you listening? He willed that Adam and Eve would sin. I want to say that is blasphemy. That's not the God that I serve. I'm so glad my life is in the hands of a God who cannot sin. Eight years ago, our youngest daughter, Robin, was expecting a baby. So she went in in January to have her ultrasound. And the doctor came back with this. He said, Robin, I hate to tell you this, but the baby you're carrying is a trisomy 18 baby. How many of you ladies know what a trisomy 18 baby is? Some of you do. It is a chromosome problem. Uh, Rick Santorum's child is a uh, trisomy 18 child. Very few of them ever live outside the womb. So he came to Robin and he said, Now, Robin, this baby you're carrying probably will not live outside the womb. And he said, You do have an option. You could go ahead and get an abortion. She said, Wait a minute. There's no option involved. She said, God is the author of life. It's up to him to preserve it. It's up to him to destroy it. And an abortion is out of the question whatsoever. So Robin carried the baby for 34 weeks. 
first part of April, she came in and had her checkup. The doctor came back and said, Robin, I hate to tell you this, your baby's dead. He said, I suggest that you check in the hospital tomorrow and we'll deliver the baby. So my wife and I went to see Robin on Thursday afternoon. As we went into her, uh, her room, obviously she was weeping. But she said this, and it thrilled my heart. She said, Mom and Dad, God is so gracious. She said, our little baby Mackenzie was born with club feet, a cleft palate. The internal organs were not formed. The skin was coming off of her body. And she said, God knew that our little baby could not live in a world like we have to live in. So he saw fit in his grace to take our little jewel and ornament heaven with Mackenzie. Thank God. I know some of you have stood by the grave of a loved one and you said, God, why? God, why? Ladies and gentlemen, God has yet to make his first mistake. And when he makes his first mistake, he'll cease to be God. He cannot sin. Number two, he cannot look upon sin. Habakkuk 1 and verse 13, For thou art of pure eyes, and behold evil, and canst not look upon iniquity. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is your hand that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have been his face from you that he will not hear. Question, how many of you have ever heard somebody say this, I don't believe a loving God would send a soul to hell. Raise your hand. Sure you have. Sure you have. You know what I say about that? If God lets you or me get to heaven, uncleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, heaven would cease to be heaven and would turn into hell. Why? He cannot look upon sin. Come with me in your mind to Mount Calvary. Here Jesus is hanging on a cross, and he cries, My God! My God, why hast thou forsaken me? Question. You ever remember reading in the Gospels before the cross where Jesus addressed his Father as my God? He never did. It was always, Father, do this. Father, do that. But now uniquely, he calls him my God. Why? Because, ladies and gentlemen, at that moment, Jesus Christ did not have a father he who was his father had turned to his judge because your sins and mine were Jesus Christ. Regardless of his love, had to turn blind eyes and deaf ears to the prayer. Holiness cannot sin. Number two, holiness cannot look upon sin. Number three, get it. Holiness cannot overlook sin. A universal law, Ezekiel 18 and verse 4, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Numbers 32, 23, be sure your sin will find you out. Romans 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. Galatians 6 and verse 7, for whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap. Pastor, when I started in evangelism 57 years ago, I never thought I would have to thunder against adultery in fundamental Baptist churches. But I had a preacher tell me this. He said, Brother Comfort, what you find out there in the world, many times you find the same thing in the church. And I will preach on a Sunday morning many times to people who claim to be saved and they're living in adultery and no conscience against it. Now I want to say God's nature is that sin will be punished, whether it be in a believer or an unbeliever. Why? Because he's holy. He cannot overlook sin. All right, number one, God is holy. Take your Bible and turn to Psalm 139, verses 1 through 12. Number two, God is omniscient. That means he's all-knowing. Psalm 139, verses 1 through 12. Notice, please. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and my uprising. 
Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and the right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as a day, and the darkness and the light are both alike unto thee. He's all-knowing. You know, God knows you so well that the very hairs on your head are numbered. I look at some of you men tonight, and I realize that God didn't have a hard time numbering the hairs on some of your head. Some of your head's like heaven. There's no parting up there, you know. But anyway, God knows all about you. Now, I want you to notice three things He knows, verse 1, 2, and 3. Verse 1. He knows me personally. O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Get it. He knows you personally. I was preaching in Michigan. A young man came out the door, and I took his hand, and I said, Young man, are you saved? He said, Oh, yes, preacher. He said, I'm saved. He walked out the door, put his hand over his mouth. He said, You know, I told that preacher I was saved. He said, I'm not saved. Now, some of you will shoot up that hand at every invitation. Preacher, I'm saved, but God knows you personally. All of my life, I heard that Jesus died for the world. All of my life, I heard that all men were sinners. But that night when I got saved 65 years ago, as a 15-year-old boy, I didn't see Jesus dying for the world. I saw him dying for Ron Comfort. I didn't see everybody as a sinner. I saw Ron Comfort as a sinner. And my sins flashed through my mind like a neon sign. I know that personal worker was glad to get rid of me that night because I almost drowned him in my tears. And the first time in my life, I was willing to admit that I was a sinner. What did David say? Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. David said, the Lord is my sword, the Lord is my sheep, the Lord is my. Job said, Job 19, 25, I know that my Redeemer liveth. Is he your personal Savior tonight? Number one, he knows me personally. Notice, please, verse two. He knows all of my thoughts. Psalm 94, verse 11, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of man that they are vanity. Heard about a little girl that got a doctor set for Christmas, and her daddy thought he'd have a little fun with her. He noticed she was reaching on the mantle for some candy, but she just couldn't get to it. So he went to the doctor's set, got the stethoscope. He said, honey, with this instrument, I can read your mind. She said, daddy, I don't believe it. He said, all right, watch this. He put the nozzle to her head, and he said, honey, he said, I believe you want that candy on that mantle. She looked at her daddy, grabbed the stethoscope, went to the garbage can and threw it in the garbage can. She said, Daddy, I don't want anybody to know my thoughts. <laughs> hey, folks, if you're truthful tonight, you'd have to say, I don't want anybody to know my thoughts, but God knows them. All right, verse 3. He's acquainted with all of my ways. Job 31 and verse 4. Doth not he see my ways and count all my steps? Job 34, verse 21, for his eyes are upon the ways of man, and he seeth all his goings. Proverbs 15 and verse 3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Zechariah 4 and verse 10, the eyes of the Lord are on to and fro throughout the whole earth. Hebrews 4, 13, neither is there any creature that is not made manifest in his sight, for all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. I read about a preacher that went to a Christian camp, and he was a, ca- he was a counselor for a cabin. 
He found out these boys, when he left the cabin, were telling dirty, off-color, double-meaning jokes. Thought he'd have a little fun with them. He had his tape recorder with him, boys. He put his tape recorder under the bed. He turned the volume up loudly to get their conversation in secret. He left the cabin, stayed for one hour, came back, censured the tape. Half of what was on the tape wasn't fit to be heard. Next morning in chapel, he got up and he said, all right, fellas and girls, sit back. He said, I've got something you're really going to enjoy. So he turned the tape recorder on. One boy heard his voice. He said, that's me. One boy said, turn it off. That's me. Another boy said, break it. That's me. And they blushed with embarrassment when everybody had heard what they'd said in secret. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a vivid picture of the judgment bar of God. Luke 12, 2 and 3, the secret things will one day be made public. You know, Pastor, before I started ambassador, I would preach to 150 or 200,000 teens a year for several years. And the more that I preached to the average Christian teen, the more I realized the average Christian teen's living in gross deceit about which his parents have no knowledge. I will guarantee you that there are kids in this building tonight who are involved in things, if mom and dad knew about it, it'd break their heart. I was preaching in Kansas City. Pastor came to me on Friday night. He said, Brother Comfort, a lady came to me before the service and asked prayer for her daughter. She said on Wednesday morning, the mother was awakened out of a dead sleep, 2.30 in the morning. She said it never happened before. She went downstairs to her daughter's bedroom, opened the door. Her window was open. Her boyfriend had crawled through the window 2.30 in the morning, they were involved in immorality. Now, she may have hidden it from Mama. She didn't hide it from God. I was preaching in Minneapolis, and one of my preacher friends came to me, and he said, Brother Comfort, I just preached in a Christian school across town. And he said, a lady came to the pastor, and she said, Pastor, something's wrong with my boy. She said, I don't know what it is, but something's wrong with him. Do you have any insight? He said, ma'am, I don't know, but let me give you a suggestion. Why don't you go up to your, friend, uh, your boy's bedroom and look under his mattress and tell me what you find? The next day, she came to the pastor with a page full of the titles of dirty, filthy, rotten, pornographic magazines. She was in tears. She said, preacher, I had no idea. She said, every perversion imaginable is in the magazines my son has been reading. She said, why, Pastor, he even has books on homosexuality and how to do it. Now, when I told that story, is there somebody in this building whose mind went to the place where those books are hidden? I am told that 50% of the people on the Internet are men, and 75% of men on the Internet Click into pornography in a regular basis. I want to challenge you girls. If you find a young man you're interested in, you have him look you in the eyes and say, are you hooked on pornography? I was talking to a lady who had been a Christian day school teacher for 43 years. I said, I'm convinced in this day of technology that by the time a boy or girl gets 12, he's hooked on pornography. She said, Brother Comfort, it's sooner than that. Sooner than that. One day the secret sins will be made public. All right, take your Bible and turn please to Psalm chapter 89. Number one, God is holy. Number two, omniscient. Number three, God is justice. Psalm 89 and verse 14. It says, justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy face. Nehemiah 9.33, howbeit thou art just in all that is brought upon us. Deuteronomy 32 and verse 4, For all his ways are judgment, a God of truth, and without iniquity, just and right is he. Everywhere I go, 
People are screaming for their rights. You go to Canada, French Canadians screaming for his rights. You go to New Mexico, the American Indians screaming for his rights. You go to Arizona, the Mexican Americans screaming for his rights. The black people want their rights. The white people, the women want their rights. Everybody want their, wants their rights. I had a song leader that traveled with me for 40 years. He's as bald as a billiard ball. And he was waiting for the bald people to say, I want my rights. I'm waiting for the short people to say, I want my rights. You know, it's terrible to be short. And it's terrible to be bald. But I look at some of you, and you're both, and that's a tragedy, you see. Everybody wants their rights. Someone said, all I want out of life is what I deserve. You better not make that statement. If you and I get what we deserve, we'll be screaming from the sulfuric avenues of hell. Why? All have sinned and come sure of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. I heard about a young lady well, I read this years ago. You can tell it was years ago by the story. But she had a heavy foot, kind of like your pastor. And she was driving through New York City. And uh, she saw a beautiful black car with a bubble machine on top pull over the side of the road. Out of the car stepped a handsomely dressed man, nice black suit, black hat. Came over the window and he said, young lady, you've exceeded the speed limit. She said, officer... I didn't see any speed limit. He said, ignorance is no excuse. You're going before the judge. So she stood before the judge, and the judge said, young lady, I'm a servant of the people. I have been elected to my position. I am a just judge. You have broken the laws of our land. Therefore, you must pay. He said, that will be $15. You didn't get off that easy, did you? Well, after he pronounced the sentence, he stepped down from the platform, pulled off his robe, pulled out his billfold, said, here, honey, here's the $15. Tell mother I'll be a little late home tonight. Don't you get it? The judge was the father of the girl. In order to be just, he had to find her. But his mercy paid the price. One day a God down on the human race and he wrote condemned but his mercy sent Jesus to pay the price so he could write forgiven in closing take your Bible and turn to Psalm 116 and 5 I cannot think about God tonight but what I think about grace oh you can preach the holiness of God you can preach the justice of God but you've got to include the grace of God too. You've got to preach it all. Notice, please, Psalm 116 and verse 5. It says, Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yea, our God is merciful. Psalm 145 and verse 8, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of a great mercy. John 1, 16 and 17, And of us fullness of all we received, and grace for grace. For the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Titus 2, 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. Someone said, Brother Comfort, what is the difference between mercy and grace? I'm going to give you a simple illustration that you'll never forget. All right, hypothetically. Your son is playing in your yard with his buddies, and you're watching him, and he does something that's very dangerous. So you go downstairs, and you say, son, come over here a minute, I want to talk to you. He said, son, I was watching you, and I saw what you did. Don't you take you to the hospital? Daddy loves you. He doesn't want you to get All right, the next night, you're looking out the window, unbeknowings to your boy, and he does the thing you have warned him not to do. So you reach out the window, and very sweetly you say, son, get in this house. Well, he knows there's going to be bloodshed in the woodshed, 
So he comes in and he stands before you and you say, son, look at me. Look at me in the eye. I saw what you did. You deserve a spanking. That's justice. You say, son, I'm not going to give you a spanking. That's mercy. You say, son, instead of giving you a spanking, here's five dollars. That's grace. You see, the justice of God condemns us to hell because all of sin. The mercy of God keeps a believing sinner from going to hell. But do you know the mercy of God is not enough to take us to heaven? It takes the grace of God to give us the opposite of what we deserve. And I am what I am tonight by the grace of God. I was born in a Roman Catholic home for the first seven years of my life. I never knew that there were any other people but Roman Catholics in the world. When I was seven, I met a girl who told me she was a Baptist. Well, I thought she had a disease. I thought she belonged in an institution. I thought everybody ought to be Roman Catholic. My grandmother said when I was six months old, my grandmother walked into our third-story apartment. She took me in her arms, was about to drop me from a three-story window. My grandmother grabbed me out of my mother's arms, threw my mother on the bed. Had my grandmother delayed five minutes, I would have been a dead baby laying on the streets of Brooklyn, New York. I can remember at the age of four, walking the sidewalks of Brooklyn, picking up cigarette butts off the street and smoking them, running around with a gang at the age of six. You say, wait a minute. That's preposterous. A six-year-old running around with a gang. Hey, we lived in the area. In that area, you were either in a gang or you were the object of a gang. My brother and I felt like it'd be better to be in the gang than to be the object of a gang. All of us in the gang had a pair of brass knuckles. We were just waiting, a little boy or a little girl, walking to the store by themselves so we could beat them to a bloody pulp with these brass knuckles. I can remember walking the hot sidewalk in the time with shoes that had no soles in them. Simply a piece of leather stretched over the top of my feet. Many days in the summertime walking those hot sidewalks, my feet were almost brown to a crisp. My dad was in the military station in South Carolina. Every week he would send home $20 as an allotment for mother to buy groceries for four children. Instead of taking this money and buying groceries, mother spent days on end in the saloons and taverns. And many were the days we never saw my mother. Many were the days my brother would go to the fruit stand and steal fruit off of the fruit stand so four little children could have something to eat. So many mornings I saw my mother take a broom handle and beat my sister Eleanor across the bare back with a broom handle until the blood appeared on her spine. My sister's five years older than I. She died about 15 years ago in Hendersonville, North Carolina of cancer. But before she died, she said, Ronnie, up and down my spine tonight are scars from where I was beaten as 11 and a 12-year-old girl. Many mornings I saw Ellen run out the door, putting on her slip, putting on her dress to escape the beating of the panel. Some of the things that I saw as a little boy, I didn't understand at the time, but I shall never erase those scenes from my mind. I remember coming home from the first grade, trying to get into our third-story apartment, and there was an article of furniture pushed against the apartment door, obviously to keep anybody from entering. So with my little body, I pushed and I pushed and I pushed and finally just enough to squeeze my little body through. I'm sorry I did. You know what I saw? I saw my mother and the landlord having immorality on the living room couch. And this was the way my mother paid her rent every month by having immorality with the landlord. Many were the nights my mother would go down on the streets of Brooklyn, taking men off the street that we had never seen in our lives and have immorality right in front of four little children. When I was seven, my mother and father received a divorce. 
And my mother realized she could not live like she wanted to live and care for four children. This is what she did. She of us, put us on a bus like a package, put a tag around my brother's neck, and the tag read this, these children are the property of William Comfort in Elmire, New York. See that he gets these children. I had a sister at the time who was two years of age. Connie, mother felt, was too young to put on the bus. I thought about that, Pastor. What if my mother had said, Ronnie is too young. He's only seven. I'll keep him back with me. You know what? She had done that. I would not be married to that lady up there. Shannon Mundy would not be here as a graduate of Ambassador. Wes Carnes and Laura would not be here. Ambassador Baptist College would not be in existence. I believe this. Even before I was saved, God was directing my life. You say, where do you get that Hebrews 1.14? Are they not all ministering spirits? Send forth the minister, get it, to them who shall be heirs of salvation. So it was God that directed my mother to put me on that bus. And after we were put on the bus, stayed home with mother, but mother committed herself to a mental institution where she spent 35 to 40 years all over New York and Pennsylvania because of, are you listening, alcohol. Don't come to me with this garbage and say, should a Christian socially drink? I say, get a brain. I know what it did to my mother. I know what it did to my family. Should a Christian socially drink? Of course not. Of course not. You know, I had a sister, Connie, that I had seen two times in 38 years. If Connie had walked in the back door while I was preaching, I would not have known her. But out of years of praying, I was preaching in Brooklyn in 1981. And God reached down out of 8 to 10 million people and He reconciled my sister and me together. What a reunion. Connie made a profession of faith. And she said, Ronnie, when I was a little girl, I went to see mother in Creedmoor Hospital in Long Island. And she said, the nurse said, Honey, you don't want to see your mother. Your mother's tried to commit suicide. She set herself on fire her skin doesn't look very pretty. All of the hair is burnt off of her body. Uh, young people, listen to me. Lest you misunderstand, from the time that God saved me 65 years ago until this moment, there has not been that much bitterness in my heart for my mother. Praise God, only love, the grace of God. You say, I don't understand how you being bitter the way you were treated. Hey, nobody ever treated me like I treated Jesus Christ for 15 years of my life. And I don't have a right to be bitter about anything or anybody, and you don't either. Brother Wes, I'll tell you what breaks my heart. I'll preach in a Christian school, and here's a single mom who is working night and day to keep that boy in that Christian school, and they will treat that mother like she is dirt under their feet. Now, young people, look at me right now. Look at me. If you're not right with your parents, you're not right with God. Did you get that? Some of you ought to go home tonight, and you ought to say, Mom and Dad, I've been a rebel. I've broken your heart. Thank you for raising me in a Christian home where you are concerned about who I am out with and when I go to bed and when I get up. Thank God for parents like that. And I remember when we were, what my brother and sister looked like. My brother and sister were nothing but a stack of skin and bones. My brother had on a pair of trousers that were tied around him with a rope. My sister had on a dress that had more holes in it than it had material. I'm not exaggerating. When we got off the bus at Elmire, New York, we looked around the bus depot for Dad couldn't find him. The police saw our plight. So they came over to my brother and they said, young man, what are you kids doing? He said, well, our mother sent us from Brooklyn to Elmira and we thought Dad would be here to meet us. So the policeman took us around the bus depot, still no sign of Dad. He said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. I'm going to take you down to the police station and we're going to feed you a meal.
And those policemen treated us so kindly that night. We had a meal like we had not had in such a long time. After the meal, they said, now we're going to take you to a children's shelter. And you'll stay in that children's shelter until we locate your dad. The next afternoon, dad came down and claimed his three children. On the way home, he said this, kids, the woman that I brought to Brooklyn and I introduced her to you is your Aunt Roxy from the South. He said, no, she wasn't your Aunt Roxy from the South. She was my daughter, and now she's my wife, and she's going to be your mother the rest of your lives. Ladies and gentlemen, the next eight years of my life were filled with nothing but fear. Oh, how I hated to see those weekends come. I knew my daddy would have his drunken in. I knew we would see fighting and immorality and hear cursing. Many Saturday nights, I never slept a wink all night long hearing cursing and seeing immorality. After we were in Elmira for a while, dad came to his new wife, and he said, New York State has not been good. I suggest that we turn that page in our life and move down to your roots in Asheville, North Carolina. And my stepmother was so thrilled to hear that. So we got on the bus, got off the bus at Asheville, North Carolina, and my dad with three children and a wife had one quarter in his pocket. One quarter. He said to see, what are we going to do? Uh, we don't have money to get established. She said, I have an aunt, Aunt Myrtle, that has a boarding house on Patton Avenue. She said, I believe Aunt Myrtle will keep us until uh, we can get established. So we went down to Myrtle's boarding house, and right away there was a head-on collision. My daddy was a thoroughbred Yankee. Aunt Myrtle was a thoroughbred Southerner. And there was a civil war going on in that boarding house. They were at each other's throat all the time. One night, my stepmom and dad got drunk. They got in a fight. And Aunt Myrtle called the police to take them to jail. The lady next door asked could keep three children until mom and dad were released from jail. You know what I saw that night? By the way, you know who that lady was? Her son was a Bible-believing Southern Baptist preacher that was known all over the state of North Carolina. I walked by Mrs. Tiller's bedroom that night, and I saw the tears stream down her face, and I heard her pray and cry, Oh, God, save Bill and Roxy Comfort behind bars tonight. Oh, God, save Billy and Elner and Ronnie Comfort. And that was the first person that I had ever met in my life that cared anything about me. Uh, my, when I was 13 years old, I woke up. I was the only one left at home. My brother got in the military at 17 to get out of the house. My sister got married at 16 to get out of the house. I was the only one left at home. About 6 o'clock in the morning, I heard my stepmother tell my dad this, Bill, I hate I cannot stand the sight of him. I wish we could get him out of our house. You have no idea how that broke my heart. Nothing that had ever happened in my life broke my heart as that did. And I began to weep and I said, Dear God, I don't want to see a sunrise. I don't want to see a daybreak. Nobody loves me. A brother in the military was on his way downtown in Panama City, Florida with his buddy to get drunk. On the way downtown, there was a gospel meeting going on. So my brother said, let's sit down and listen to what that preacher has to say. So the preacher preached the gospel message. And he said, if you'd like to know your sins are forgiven, he said, just come down and talk to me after I close in prayer. And after he prayed, my brother told his buddy, he said, I'm going to go down and talk to that preacher. He went down and he said, preacher, he said, you told me I could know my sins were forgiven. He said, I've got a lot of them, and I'd like to know that my sins are forgiven. And the preacher said, just pray and tell God you're a sinner. Now, remember, our you know what my brother prayed? He prayed, Hail Mary, full of grace. Blessed art thou among. And the preacher said, no, that's not the right 
prayed prayer. He said, okay, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be. He said, that's not the right prayer. He said, just get down on your knees. Tell God you're a sinner and that Jesus died for you and that you want him to save you. He did when he got up. He was a new creature in Christ. And Billy didn't go back downtown and get drunk. He went to the barracks, wrote his mom and dad and his little brother, and he said, I've been born again, and you need what I have. Billy came home on furlough. Nine out of ten days, he was a little brother. And he said, Ronnie, you think nobody loves you, but Jesus loves you. And folks, that made all the difference. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Twas blind, but now I see. Aren't you glad that God is grace tonight? And though your sins be as scarlet, He wants to make them as white as snow. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed as Laura comes to the piano and plays softly and tenderly, Jesus is called. Let me ask you this. How many of you tonight can say, Brother Comfort, if I died right now, I can give you a Bible reason why I know I'm saved. There was a time and a place when I realized I was a sinner that I could not get to heaven by my good works. I received Jesus Christ, and if I died right now, I can give you a Bible reason why I know I'm saved. If you can give me tonight a Bible reason why you know you're saved, slip up your hand, please. Keep it up just a moment. If you're not sure, don't be lying, raise it. Thank you, you may put them down. I see some who could not raise their hand. Young man, thank you for being honest. Young lady, thank you for being honest. I wonder, is there somebody in here tonight that would say, Preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved, but I'd like to make sure. Would you include me in the prayer? I'm not sure, but I'd like to make sure. Tonight I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't get to heaven by my good works. And tonight I'd like to receive Jesus. Would you pray tonight? I'd like to make sure I'm saved. Just slip up your hand right now, and I will see your hand and pray for you anywhere in the building. Preacher, I'm not sure I'm sure. I want to make sure. Include me in the prayer. Anywhere. One more thing. Are there Christians tonight who would say, Brother Comfort, God's been so gracious to me, and yet I'm not living as I ought. I need to get some things right with God as a Christian. Would you pray for me? I'm saved, but I'm not living as I ought. Include me in the prayer. Just slip up right now. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you and you. And you over here. And you on the third row several. Thank you. Let's pray, Lord. I thank you for who you are. man is when he tries to put you in a test tube because you said as far as the heavens are above the earth so far are your ways and thoughts above our ways and thoughts I'm so glad that you're holy and nothing will get to enter into that heavenly city I'm so glad that you're omniscient you know the lonely midnight hours that some of these widow ladies have to endure. You know the tears that have come down our cheeks because we've lost a loved one. I'm so glad you're all knowing. And I'm glad that you're justice. Nobody will be able to stand at the judgment bar of God and say, I did not deserve this. And then I'm so glad your grace. I don't understand tonight why that you let my grandmother walk into that third story apartment in Brooklyn. Five minutes later, I would have been a dead baby. Thank you, Lord, 
And I pray that my life will show you that I love you, not only my lips, but my life. Many Christians tonight have raised their hands. They said, preacher, I'm saved, but I'm not living as I ought. I pray that they'll come. There are some teenagers here tonight that are not saved. Help them to understand that today is a day of salvation. Never tomorrow, but today. In Jesus' name. Let's stand, please. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. Pastors here at the front. Many of you raise your hands tonight.